Living Time and the Integration of the Life by Dr. Morris Nickel. He doesn't have doctor here, but I know he was a doctor. He was a medical doctor. So I said Dr. Morris Nickel because, well, I have respect for the man. We left off with him quoting Ospensky in A New Model of the Universe. All this means that according to the number of dimensions, reality must alter. That makes perfect sense. We talked last time about the pencil going through the piece of paper and that whole thing. and The reality changes as your dimension changes. It would be impossible to explain to paper beings the relationship between stationary objects in our world. Our world entering their world would give rise to the phenomena of movement to them. That makes sense because they're two-dimensional. Three-dimensional means movement. Stationary objects in our world lying at different angles to one another would appear to them to be moving. That is, their cross-sections would appear to be moving because all they would see is the cross-section. An example of this is given by Fechner in 1846 in the volume Klein Schriften. And it's German, so I'm not going to mess with it. Gustav T. Fechner, 1801 to 1887. In a paper on the fourth dimension, not published under his own name, in which he imagines a vertical red beam of light falling on a sheet of paper and a yellow beam falling sideways at an angle on the same spot so that the two beams coalesce on the surface of the paper. The result is an orange spot. First of all, who does this? Who imagines this kind of stuff? Well, let me tell you who. Einstein was very famous for this for imagining himself riding a beam of light at 189 feet per second. Is that what it is? 189 miles per second. So whatever it is, it's 189,000 189, miles a second, something like that. And he's riding this beam of light, and he's moving at the speed of light, but he's holding a mirror in front of him, and he can't see his image because he's moving. Now, who does that? Einstein does that. People like that do that. But what do we do? We imagine what it would be like to have a better lover or a better husband or a better wife. Or We imagine what it would be like to be able to afford those shoes or that car or that house. We're idiots. You see, the problem is we're just idiots. We're slugs, low-life idiots, compared to the people like Fechner and Einstein who seed our race. They are the first fruits, as it were, the ones who ripened first. They are examples of what we can be if we wish to develop. And if you take the vertical red beam and the yellow beam falling on a sheet of paper, one vertically, one sideways, at an angle on to the same spot, the two beams coalesce on the surface of the paper, the result is an orange spot. Imagine the sheet of paper to be moved vertically upwards a little way. The yellow and red components of the orange spot begin to separate. The position of the red spot caused by the vertical beam remains unchanged, but the yellow spot begins to move away from it. Now, you remember the red beam is like this, straight vertical, straight up and down. But the yellow beam is at an angle, let's say a 45-degree angle, just so that you can picture it in your head, like that. And then you consider this piece of paper. So as you move, then obviously one is moving away. One is staying in the same spot, but the other one is moving away. And if you move down, it moves closer. At the second position of the paper, oh, he's got a diagram here. One is the paper and two is above the paper so that it moves up. And now if you can imagine, you won't have to imagine this, I'll show you. But the people in podcast land will have to imagine this. Boo-hoo. Oh, well, such is life. So you've got this one coming this way, the yellow beam, and this one coming this way. Oh, I dropped my eraser. 
and then the paper is here. Now, if the paper moves up here, you can see that this has to change. This doesn't change at all, but the angled one changes because it's going up. So, that's the diagram that you can't see and they can't see, but you could see my pencil diagram. We're definitely into pencil diagrams here. So, at the second position, the two beams of colored light are separated because one is higher than the other, but down here where they meet, they're there. But as they separate, as it moves higher, they separate, move the paper downwards, and the yellow spot moves towards the red on the surface of the paper. Make sense? Good. Move it upwards, and the yellow spot moves further away from the red spot on the surface of the paper. Now, imagine how this would appear to the paper beings whose world is limited to the sheet of paper. At first, they would see an orange zone, which would gradually separate into a red zone and a yellow zone. And it would appear to them that the yellow area moved away under its own force. It would just be moving away. We would see that the phenomena of movement in the paper world were caused by the entrance of the third dimension into their two-dimensional world, and that through the curtailment in their third-dimensional perception, the illusion of objects moving resulted because they could not see the third dimension. Their inability to see the third dimension, it would look like the objects were moving, and they are stationary, as stationaries can be. If the red and yellow beams made a very small angle, if they are nearly parallel, the movement of the yellow spot away from the red spot would be very slow as the paper moved vertically upwards. If the yellow beam made almost a right angle with the red beam, the yellow spot would move across the surface of the paper with great velocity, almost instantaneously. Then it would be gone. Regarded in this way, velocity is a dimension. See, this is why you have trouble with this. This is why you prefer Morning Talks and George MacDonald because you don't have to think so much. But with this, your brain is being twisted. Your brain is being pressed to the limits. And that's a good thing. That's why we're doing both. One for your heart, one for your head. Because you need to move head and heart together. They need to be yoked together and pulled together. And we don't do that because it takes effort. Now, for the intellectual people, it takes effort to bring the heart in. For the heart people, it takes effort to bring the head in. I really don't care, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that because you're trapped here with me, you will have both. But the podcast people, they can pick and choose like they're in a cafeteria. They're like the people in the world. They can just pick and choose. If they don't like it, it's too much trouble, they just don't have to listen to it. But you have to listen to it because I subject you to it. And this is the great gift of having a teacher who is no respecter of persons. This is what you need. And you know that. And so that's why you signed up. And so here you are, you poor people. So he says that regarded in this way, velocity is a dimension. This thought occurred to Descartes, who was inclined to the view that the length, breadth, and height of bodies do not exhaust their dimensional attributes. We don't get that at all. Weight and velocity might be also dimensions in themselves. So Fetchner points out that velocity, as we experience it in our world, may be due to the obliqueness of insertion of the four-dimensional into the three-dimensional, just like the obliqueness of the insertion of the three-dimensional into the two-dimensional paper world. He is saying that it could be the same thing. He says, it all depends on the obliqueness of the yellow beam and the movement of the paper. The more obliquely the yellow beam is directed to the paper, the farther the yellow spot will remove itself from the red one by a given progression of the paper. The quicker, therefore, will its own movement appear. So as the paper moves, it'll look like that yellow spot is really moving quickly. That's your velocity. Naturally, when something appears to move in our three dimensions, this only occurs because the beam that it projects into the space of the four is directed obliquely to the three dimensions. 
I know, I know, I know. I can see your little wheels stuck. They're not turning, they're just stuck. It's okay. Hang in there, we'll get there. And therefore, obliquely to the three dimensions, and therefore, you're having a problem with obliquely, aren't you? Oblique is an angle, yeah. I can't see. Oh, yeah, I knew you were having trouble with obliquely, because obliquely is not a word that we use. Oblique. By the progression of the plane of the three. These are always cut at different places. The more obliquely, the quicker the movement appears to be. So let's just go back, just think about, don't think about the third and fourth dimension, just think about the second and third, because that was easier. If the movement is curvilinear, this only results from a curved aspect of the beam. This now leads to new food for reflection. Of course, like, we weren't gagging on the food he's already given us. We aren't like, stop, stop force-feeding me this food. I feel sorry for us because, like, the intellectual people are out there going, boy, these people are a bunch of stupid nerds. Yes, we are. There's no question about it. And I will take being a stupid nerd over an intellectual prig any day of the week. I will take a stupid nerd who loves over an intellectual prig who doesn't love or who loves intellectually. So I'll take that any day of the week. So go ahead, call me this, call me that, call yourself a dirty rat. Is that how they say it in kindergarten, wherever that was? Because we're in kindergarten now. This now leads to new food for reflection. First of all, we see that the mathematician has no longer any reason to complain of the increase of work because he has spared the whole science of mechanics. Everything stands as it stands, and he needs no longer calculate the original movement of the world. It continues on its course. To calculate the aspects of space, he only requires to take his variable t as the fourth coordinate of space. The variable t is, what, time? On the other hand, the naturalist gains many new aspects of nature. Just to mention one briefly, if we see a planet revolving in a circle, this only results from the planet extending spirally or corkscrew fashion into the space of the four, as now the plane of the three in which the planet finds itself at every moment traverses this spiral beam in the same way as formerly the plane of the two. It appears as if the planet revolved in it. It is therefore evident that the universe must be considered as a growth of spiral filaments and the whole science of astronomy as a microscopic part of botany. Okay, I know you didn't get it. I can tell by the look on your face you didn't get it, and that's okay. And just wipe your chin. (laughs) Just thank you, wipe your chin. Fetchner conceived the invisible aspect of the world only in terms of a fourth dimension added to the three of space. But he saw in this fantasy that with the addition of another dimension, our whole way of looking at things must entirely change. This is the important thing. The important thing is what we have done. You may not get the whole thing, and that doesn't matter. What matters is what you did get. It doesn't matter what you didn't get. What matters is what you got. What you got is just a nudge. It's a nudge in a direction that you need to move in. That's all. So be patient with yourself. Relax. Breathe. And have fun with this doesn't have to be this big consternation. It can be just like, look, I got what I got. If you have faith that there is a power in this universe that wants you to develop, its will is for you to develop and grow and unfold and become more of who you really are. It's working for you. The whole universe will tax every grain of sand for you. That's the truth. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, it is the truth, and someday you will know it to be true, if you don't know it to be true now. Ospensky observes that if the phenomenon of velocity is connected with the angle of insertion of the higher dimensional into our three-dimensional world, 
then we must know of some limiting velocity in our world. Because angles themselves are limited, the sensation of a velocity may be the sensation of the penetration into consciousness of one of the dimensions of higher space unknown to us. Velocity can be regarded as an angle. An angle has naturally a limit in one direction and in another. Ospensky said that in a new model of the universe that Kai was really a genius. Ospensky was incredible. It is, in this way, the limiting velocity of light round which the theory of relativity is built can be explained. Ospensky approaches the question of velocity and angle from a standpoint that is different from Fechner's, and I must refer to the reader to the entire chapter chapter 10 of A New Model of the Universe. Now, if you have a new model of the universe, go read chapter 10. If you don't have a new model of the universe, go out and get it right now. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're excommunicated or whatever. (laughs) Whatever. From which the above is taken. In connection with the view that we experience the properties of higher dimensions as phenomena of movement in our three-dimensional space, he remarks that animals may not live in the same world as we do. Well, look, anybody who has an animal, has a pet, knows they don't live in the same world. What do you mean they don't live in the same world? Sure, they live in the same world. Yes, spatially, spatially, but not mentally, not emotionally. They live in a different world. A dog lives in a different world because a dog has cones. What is in your eyes? Cones and what? Rods. Rods. Rods and cones. We have rods and cones. A dog only has one, either rods or cones. So they see in black and white. They don't see color. That's a totally different world. Cats, on the other hand, have these pupils that just dilate like, wow, so that they can see in the night. But not only that, their whiskers are the same width as their body. And so they can, just by feeling their whiskers, they can tell whether they're going to touch something on either side. This is just like amazing. Does anybody remember back in the old days when they had those curb feelers on cars? Those curb coats that, that people tried to park and they'd have these little curb feelers, these little chrome curb feelers that would go when you were close to the curb. That was like cat's whiskers. We learn a lot from nature if we pay attention. Every once in a while, imagine what it's like to only see in black and white. Imagine what it's like to be able to see at night and to have whiskers that tell you where you are. I know, I know, it's weird, but it's good if you want to expand your consciousness. If you want to be able to see things in a different way, if you want new meaning, these are things that I recommend that you do. I don't know if anybody else recommends it or not, but it popped into my head, so try it. It works for me. The third dimension may be, for them, in the nature of a higher dimension. When we walk past a house, we see an apparent movement of it, but correct it with our reason. He thinks that animals may see this apparent movement as real so that a house turns about when a horse goes past it. A tree jumps into the road. Animals would then attribute a mysterious power of movement to inanimate life and thus live in a different world from our world owing to this lack of a clear apprehension of the third dimension in their consciousness. Ospensky believes that we stand in exactly the same position in relation to the dimension of time as animals stand to the third dimension of space. And he may be very well right. We are animals when it comes to time. We're like, duh. Wow. We can start chapter five. How cool is that? The life and living time. We're finished with chapter four. Thank God, huh? With the addition of the fourth dimension, the great time world emerges living where we thought it dead and gone. Our lives are extended through a minute portion of it. In this world, in time, nothing can perish. Passing time makes things seem to perish, to pass away. But in this world of time, nothing can perish. 
We think of the world as a ball in space. We imagine if we believed that the world was created, that it was made as a round mass. When we read that the ages were created, we do not grasp what is meant. Creation in time was meant. Imagine a day already created. Try to imagine a week as created and fashioned from beginning to end. The natural mind cannot do it. It can form no image of an already created day. Still less can it do so of an already created age. It is necessary to get rid of the sense of passing time and think of time itself. I don't have a problem with this for some reason. I guess maybe because I've studied this for so many years. It makes sense to me. But if it doesn't make sense to you, don't worry about it. You need to think of time itself. If we do this, then the expression from the Apocalypse of Peter, nothing perishes before God, becomes partly understandable. For everything stands in its place in time, and though today replaces yesterday, yesterday is always today for itself. Yesterday is always today for itself, because it doesn't have our perspective. Our passage through the dimension of time gives us the experience of succession, much like the two-dimensional paper beings have this experience as the pencil passes through the paper. They have this experience of succession, this part, then this part, then this part, then this part. But from the third dimension, the pencil is right there. The whole thing's right there. We don't get it. We see this little cross-section that the paper beings are seeing, and it's like, wow, they really are limited. Well, just imagine how beings in the fourth dimension think of us. Wow, they really are limited. Just imagine for a moment how the beings in the fifth, sixth, and seventh dimensions see us. Yeah. Don't imagine it too long because you'll commit sideways, which, of course, is a paper thing. If we do this, then the expression from the apocalypse, yes. Our passage through the dimension of time gives us the experience of succession. More than this, it gives us the impression of annihilation. It's gone. It's done. It's over. We believe the past is annihilated. We believe yesterday cannot be anywhere. It's gone. Where could there be room for it? How could there be room for yesterday today? Well, in the third dimension, there isn't any. Any more than there's room for the whole pencil in the second dimension. As it passes through, as you poke it through the paper, there's no room for the whole thing because they only have two dimensions. But at a third dimension, there's a room. Obviously, there it is. At the fourth dimension, and of course, there's room for yesterday, isn't there? I think it's scarcely possible to describe how deeply our experience of passing time affects thought and feeling. It isn't possible. We are absolutely imprisoned by the idea of passing time. We're imprisoned. It affects everything we think, everything we feel. It would be foolish to attempt to do so because we're psychologically built around the natural belief of passing time. It might be better to say annihilating time rather than passing time. In fact, I think it is better. Say annihilating time. So we seem to live the most fragile of existences in an ever-dying, sad environment. And our life seems only what we have at this moment or hope to get tomorrow. We have no other conception of the life. It seems to be nothing but the body at this instant, the scene before us. Yet the effects of the past on the present have been studied in the light of the unconscious persistence of early impressions. Connie sent me today a photo of some patio thing with red brick and this gravel and different things. And I said, I don't like that. It reminds me of something in my past that's unpleasant for me. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe some relative's patio or something, whatever it was. I had this impression, and the impression just left me, ugh not liking it at all. Like, I just didn't like it. It was unpleasant for me. So that's what he's talking about, unconscious persistence of early impressions. It's unconscious. I don't know what it is. But the persistence of it, I'm 67 years old today, and the persistence of it is, it may be 60 years ago. 60-year persistence. 
And the possibility of the effect of the future on the present has been inferred mathematically, taking the world as four-dimensional, for example, by the Austrian mathematician H. Weyl, who concludes, W-E-Y-L, just in case I said that incorrectly, who concludes that the future may overlap the past so that, in principle, it's possible to experience events now that would, in part, be an effect of my future resolves and actions. Space, time, and matter. He wrote that in Space, Time, and Matter. Nickel read a lot of stuff. This guy was very well read. Of course, we live in a different world, so we don't read that. We read stuff on the Internet, smart stuff, like somebody's going to join the Cowboys or somebody else has been retired or somebody else has been fined for domestic violence, you know, or some movie star just got pregnant or somebody else got a new hairdo or somebody else got a bikini wax. This is the kind of stuff we are involved in, idiotic stuff, because we're morons. But he actually used his life and his brain and his time. And we misuse ours as a matter of course. Now, of course, not everybody does, but I'll bet you 99% of the people on the planet do. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. The interconnection of the world as a whole in higher dimensions suggests such a possibility. So in higher dimensions, everything is all unified. For example, here, we sit here, and one, two, three, you count the people here, and all these different people are separate people. But in a higher dimension, we're all one. We can't see that. But remember, the fork coming through the paper, four prongs of the fork. It looks like four different things, but it's not, because they're all connected, and we are the same way. You look all separate here, but in the fourth dimension, you're all joined. That's a real mind-bender for us. So he says that the interconnection of the world as a whole in higher dimensions suggests such a possibility. Higher space signifies possibilities, connections, interrelations undreamt of in the narrower space and time familiar to us. So we're living in a very narrow space and time, the third dimension. But higher dimensions opens everything up. The definition of God as beginning and end has introduced us to this view, and we can recall here the definition in the New Testament which connects the idea of God with all possibilities. With God, all things are possible. Jesus was very clear about that. Who then can be saved, the disciples said. He said, with God, all things are possible. In both of these definitions, I believe, the idea of higher space appears, that is, of another connection of all things. I'll bet you there are not 200 people on the planet in Christianity who would come to that conclusion. I'm being very generous when I say 200, but probably not 20. I can't even imagine two, but that's just me. Since the life is extended in time itself, the effect of the present upon the past has also to be considered as a possibility. The effects of what we do now, from this standpoint, are to be thought of as spreading in two definitely existing directions past and future, not apprehended by our sensuous contact with the world. So the pencil going through the paper has an up and a down, both two ends, and it exists. It's there. But in two dimensions, you can only see the cross-section of it. In three dimensions, you cannot see the whole picture. These directions, not apprehended by our sense-based contact with the world. We call these directions past and future. From this point of view, our past life, our present life, and our future life are always in functional relationship. Just like the pencil is always the pencil, whether it's passing through the paper this way or that way. It doesn't matter. Whether it's going slowly or quickly, it doesn't matter. There are three elements or three influences at work. The past is no dead thing, nor the future a blank. Any more than the pencil, this end or that end, is a dead thing or a blank. 
It's there. It's just that the two-dimensional people can't see it. In the fourth dimension, the past and the present and the future are all there, just like the pencil. But because we're in the third dimension and stuck here, we can't see it. We can't experience it. The consequences of acts lying ahead of us and the consequences of acts lying in the past mingle with the consequences of acts lying in the present. And the determining point is now. Only, as we shall see, we do not know or possess this now. That is, we have no determining point. All right, we're going to do one more paragraph, and then we're going to stop because we're running out of time. Uh, uh, How can you run out of time? Here in this dimension, you can run out of time. But in the fourth dimension, it's all there because the fourth dimension is the dimension of time. Therefore, everything is all there whole right now. And right now, and right now, right now, right now, and in the past and in the future. It is certainly strange to think that the past may be changing through the action of the present and future. For us, it's very strange to think that. But such thoughts belong only to the four-dimensional conception of man, through which all the life is made alive. Man is a living world line. Let's conceive mankind as a network of these living lines in higher space. Let's suppose that the senses cut through all these lines at a point called present, showing us a cross-section, that is, a picture of three-dimensional bodies, a mass of perceptible people in one moment of passing time called present. These living lines in four-dimensional space are, then, to be thought of as living organisms, of which every part influences every other part. This four-dimensional organism is not the perceptible body, but the invisible body containing the visible body. By sense, we are only related to the visible body itself, that is, as given perceptually through sight and touch and hearing. I don't think there is a way to properly say just how limited our vision is, our way of looking at the world is. I don't think there's a way to effectively say it, not for us. Other than we are so primitive, only because of our limited perception. If you can't see it, If it's not visible to you, it's very hard to know, and you need ideas to lift you up out of this. And you must not fight these ideas, and you must try to expand. This is like trying to put 10 pounds of jelly bellies in a one-pound paper bag. It's going to hurt, and it's not all going to fit. So this isn't all going to fit, and that's the point of this. Relax about this. Just relax, because it's much easier if you relax. If you relax, you can get a full bunch of jelly bellies in that one-pound bag. If you are all tight and restrictive, you're not going to get the whole thing in there. You're not going to get as many in there as you could. That's why I say, look, don't worry about this. Don't worry about the results. Just know that these ideas are like seeds, and they're working in your mind. You just let them be, and think of them from time to time when you can. Think of them from time to time when you can. And when you do that, you will find that the ideas will lift you up and expand your consciousness. They will make a difference for you. I know this because of over 40 years of experience with these ideas, and I know what they've done in my life. And so I can say with certainty that if you will apply yourself, it will do the same thing for you. And more. And that's the idea. And more. We want more meaning, new meaning, higher meaning. And this is how you get it. You expose yourself to these ideas and you let them work in you. That's what I have to say about that. Just relax about it. Don't furrow your brow about it. Don't get all discombobulated and like that. Just relax. Have a good time. Think about the examples, the fork, the pencil. 
going through the two dimensions, and then relate that the best you can from the fourth dimension to the third dimension. So the fork and the pencil going through a piece of paper is the third dimension to the second dimension. Now just extrapolate that to the fourth and third. You're in the third, now you're like the paper person in the second, only now you're in the third, but the fourth dimension comes through and all you can see is what you can see. But understand that there is more to it. Extrapolate it, take it out that way, and it will begin to stretch your consciousness and include things that you'll have thoughts that you couldn't have before, like Fechner and Einstein. You'll start to have thoughts that you couldn't have before because you didn't have the idea basis for them. But now you have some. So relax, be happy, don't fret about this, enjoy it. I know people have said, oh, living time, I don't like that, I don't like that, I like McDonald better. That's nice, but this is what we're doing now. And this is what we're doing, so apply yourself to it. And just because McDonald is easier and more pleasant for you, or has become easier and more pleasant for you, doesn't mean that you don't get to work on this. So, have at it. Good night, have a pleasant tomorrow. Choose.